Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today in the room? Come on. It's awesome. Those of you who are with us online, thank you so much as well. We are one church, but we just meet in a lot of locations. Everybody with me on that? Give it up for all the folks who are worshiping with us online. Would you do it right here in the room? Love you guys. Thank you so much for being with us. We are in a series. By the way, my name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. We're in a series called Anthem of Hope. And uh, when we planned this series about six months ago, uh, this is a series about mental health and emotional and spiritual health. We had no idea that May was Mental Health Awareness Month. And so we're just, it was like a happy coincidence, but we're glad that we're doing here. It's a different series for us, and this is a different message today, I promise you, than probably any of you've had here. Uh, and I want to talk to you today about depression through the lens of a story from the Old Testament. It's a story about a man named David. And at the beginning of David's adolescent life, remarkable things begin happening to him. He is a young man of extraordinary gift and potential. And one day, a prophet, uh, if you don't know what the term prophet is, this was a, uh, um, a man who had been gifted by God to speak on behalf of God to a, a city, a community, a people group. And so he comes by uh, at the, the behest of God himself because God is not happy with the king Saul and the way he's handling things. And so he's instructed uh, Samuel to go and find someone else to anoint. He already has the man in mind. And so he shows up at, at the home of Jesse, who has all these sons, and David is the youngest of them. And he goes through the line of them, and he's like, this is not the one, this is not the one. Do you have another one? And finally he goes, oh, we got this one. He's out back, you know, herding the sheep. And when he sees David, he says to him that, that he's found favor with God, and he actually anoints David, which is um, he pours oil on his head as a sign of, of setting him apart, a, a sign of, of like a Holy Spirit kind of power coming upon him. And great things begin to happen in this young man's life. And you probably know, even if you're not familiar much with the Bible about the story of David and Goliath, you know that he becomes, even at a very young age, before he's even full grown, he becomes this incredible warrior by killing this giant from a place called Gath, this huge, huge man, and so heroic um, and so monumental is this victory that he, he has that people begin to sing songs about his greatness. Wouldn't you like it if after you went to work one day, you, you did something so awesome that people began to sing songs like little ditties on your behalf? Come on, anybody know what I'm saying? Like a, like a traveling minstrel would follow you around singing your praises. Um, and this is what happens. And and, and, and they're singing songs that say Saul, who's the current king, has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. A morbid song, right? But, but this is what they're saying. And everything he touches at this point in his life seems to turn to gold. It seems like he's living a charmed life. And sometimes life turns out that way for a while. David ends up going to live in the palace with the king, he becomes a favorite of the king. Saul, the king, loves David at this point. He's his favorite musician, David is. He's his favorite songwriter. And he ends up becoming best friends with the king's son, Jonathan. He ends up marrying the king's daughter, Michal. And, 
And that's a good career move, by the way, uh, when you do this. And then, and then a funny thing happens on his way to the top. It all was a meteoric rise, and it all comes down in much the same way. It fell apart one by one, and all of the things, the wonderful things that had happened to him that he had achieved or had been given to him began to be stripped away from him one at a time. He became so successful so fast that King Saul gets jealous of him and got jealous of the songs that the people were singing about David. So one day at dinner, he picks up a spear and he throws it at David intending to kill him. And so David is forced to run for his life. And so in a matter of days, he loses his job, which means he loses his income, his security. And some of you know what that's like. Then he loses his marriage and some of you know about that as well. Saul was trying to kill David multiple times, and so David's wife helps him escape, but then she ends up being taken back by Saul, her father. Kings could do that in those days, and so he actually hands her off to another man to be married to. And so now David has lost his marriage, he's lost his family, he's lost his position, his budding reputation in, in, the, in, the, in the nation is gone, all of it gone. So he tries to go and see Samuel, the prophet, who is his uh, kind of spiritual mentor, the, the voice of wisdom for his life. But Saul hears about it and sends soldiers, and David is forced to make yet another escape. And soon after this, Samuel dies. So David will never see Samuel again. He will never get advice or guidance from his old mentor because he's, he's gone. So David comes up with another plan, and he runs to his best friend, Jonathan, the king's son, but David is forced once again to run and he will never see his best friend again. David's on the run and he has no place to go. This is David. I want you to think about him now. He's once been in a palace, had wealth and power and fame and friends and security. He has a bright future. He's been anointed by God to be the king after all. He, he was the golden boy and now all of that's gone from him. He's got no money. He's got no home. He has no friends, no job, no mentor. He's running for his life. And as he runs into the wilderness, he finds himself in a cave. A cave that we call the cave of Adullam. It means refuge. We're talking about depression today. And for our purposes, I'm going to use the cave as a, as a kind of metaphor. Metaphor for depression. Depression, which is... Uh, this massive, massive problem uh, in our country, if you've looked into the research of it at all, it's, it's, it's a major, major, major issue. We'll get back to that <clears throat> in a moment. So, so let's go back to the cave for a moment. In, in some ways, the cave is where you end up when all of the props and supports and all the scaffolding and all the gifts and all the awards and all the stuff gets stripped away or becomes meaningless and doesn't fill you up at a soul level the way you thought it might. It's the place where for some of us, your hopes turn to dust and it's clear that things will not work out the way you dreamed. A cave is the place where dreams go to die. It's, it's a place we go to when life doesn't turn out the way we thought it would where, where maybe tragedy or disaster or loss or pain becomes overwhelming. And some of us may be in the cave right now. 
you had maybe a vocational dream that you were going to do, and it was a really big dream. You had big plans, and they never materialized. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you're having to work a lesser job than you used to have, and you're feeling enormous financial pressure on you, and you worry about it every day, and you wake up worried about it, and you go to sleep at night worried about it. You're, you're in a cave. Maybe, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you lost a, a marriage to desertion or death or divorce. Maybe you wanted a relationship so bad, it's like the big thing, dream of your life, and you just, it hasn't happened. The cave can be a place where, can we get real for a moment, where when life or when people just poke you so full of holes until it feels like all of the good in you is running out. Maybe it was a bad decision that you made somewhere and you find yourself asking, how did I ever end up here? Like I had such high hopes, I had such a bright future, but I made a decision and I'm involved in behavior and I don't even know who I am. How did I end up here in this cave? Maybe it's a cave of remorse. Maybe something happened to you. Maybe you lost your health. Maybe somebody you love lost their health. Maybe you just find yourself alone. Maybe you feel betrayed. Or maybe you betrayed yourself and some values that you held dear. A cave is a place of disappointment. It's a place of regret and of failure sometimes or of fear. It's a funny thing, I think, that nobody... Nobody plans on ending up in a cave. And yet, in spite of our best efforts at, at cave avoidance, sooner or later, everyone is going to log some time in the cave. Everyone. It's just part of the brokenness of our world, part of the fall from the beginning of, of mankind. The, the question, though, is, is who do you call when life breaks down? And, and when life isn't turning out the way we planned, Who do you call? And who knows something about caves? Let let me go back to the cave itself. You know, if you've ever been in one, caves can feel claustrophobic, like like everything is closing in around you, and and it feels hard to breathe in the cave, and it's it's hard to hope in the cave, and it's, it's honestly hard to dream in the cave, and it's hard to see past the confines of the cave. It's hard to believe that there will be an end to the cave and it's lonely and it's dark in the cave. And what makes matters worse is that you begin to wonder, is anybody out there? Like, does anybody know where I'm at? Does anybody know the kind of pain I'm in? The kind of darkness I'm experiencing? The kind of loneliness I'm feeling? Is there any relief in sight? And, and then, where is God at? And did he forget his promises? Does he even know that I'm here in this cave? Will I ever be anywhere else? Will I die here in this cave? And the longer you stay in the cave, the more it feels like those questions become certainties. Nobody knows where I'm at. Nobody cares about me. I must be damaged goods. I must be the worst of the worst. God cannot possibly know about me, love me. And that can be a very scary place to be. I don't know if any of you can relate to any of this right now, but I can tell you for a fact that I've logged some time in the cave in the back end of 2016. 
It was a banner year for our church. We, we were breaking all of our numbers, all of our records in every category, and yet I felt no joy at all with any of the accomplishments that we were making. I found no satisfaction in my, my, my work. I was tired all of the time. I was in a chronic fog mentally. I had no ability to dream about the future. I felt kind of detached from my own emotions. I couldn't think clearly. I couldn't dream. And then there was this day on vacation with my kids and my wife where one of my daughters said to me, Daddy, why don't you ever smile anymore? And the other one said, yeah, Dad, we, we haven't seen you laugh in a very long time. And it was that moment that I realized something was wrong. And if I'm being incredibly honest, I'm, I'm trying to come out of a little bit of a cave right now called 2020. Some of you know about that. It was incredibly difficult for so many people, but it was incredibly hard for me. So I want to bring up somebody who knows a little something about, I'm going to put this over here, who knows a little something about caves as well. I'd like to introduce to you Dr. Kelly Griffith. Uh, Kelly, would you come up? Would you give Kelly a hand as she comes up? <laughs> Kelly is a clinical psychiatrist. She, um, I, I hate to say this, at the, uh, but she's a big deal. Can I just say she's a big deal? I can't tell you why she's such a big deal. Uh, I don't want to get her in trouble, but she's a big deal and, and, and does mental health at a very, very, very high level. Um, Kelly, thanks for doing this and, and welcome. Folks, this is one of the bravest and strongest uh, women I know. And for those of you who know her story, the current reality she's living in, she is one of the most resilient people I know. Um, Kelly, you've been in an incredibly difficult season uh, now for quite a while. Um, I talked to you earlier about this this week, and you said you're absolutely right now in a cave season in your own life. Would you just tell us a, a little bit about that? Sure. So a lot of what I've gone through is very similar to probably what a lot of you have gone through. Um, I came here, I have two children, had two children, uh, came here and... Um, you know, part of the military, a military transfer, probably like many of you or many of your friends. And, you know, it's kind of run of the mill for us. You know, I've been in 24 years and, um, you know, it's what we do. We, we, we move from one place to the next. We leave loved ones and friends behind. So th that was stressful in and of itself. And then we enter this period of COVID, right? So my son was a senior in high school and you know, he got no, no graduation. Um, he did get into his kind of dream school in California. So that was a blessing. And then right before we were about to move him in, two days before, they announced no face-to-face -face classes. Nobody can live in the dorms. So we had to scramble to find kind of other arrangements for him and everything. And that's, that's all pretty, pretty run-of-the-mill and probably similar to what a lot of you have experienced. But Meanwhile, back, back home here in San Antonio, my um, almost 17-year-old daughter and I were going through COVID adaptation, right? We were trying to figure out online school, how to do that successfully. Um, part of my job involved telehealth for a very large organization. So as you can imagine, with COVID, my responsibilities go way up. Um, but my daughter and I, you know, we were a team. We were, we were working through it. We were trying to cope. We were finding, um, you know, we were working out. We were doing things that were healthy for us because we were both lonely. We were both overburdened. We both felt um, 
you know, weary and, and ill-equipped to handle all the challenges of COVID. So, um, you know, sometimes many of you may have experienced this. There's an event in your life that happens that is so shattering that it basically divides your life into before and after. So that event happened for me in November of 2020 when my um, brilliant, talented, beautiful, kind, loving, almost 17-year-old daughter took her own life. And, um, you know, at that moment, there's the before and the after. And, um, you know, the two biggest parts of my identity were mother and mental health professional. And honestly, I thought I was pretty good at both. And so, as you can imagine, after something like that, both of those main factors of my identity were just were just shattered. They were just laid low. And so um, ever since then, I've been trying to re reform my identity. Yes, I'm still a mother. Yes, I'm still a mental health professional. Yes, I'm still a child of God. But I'm just trying to basically get out of that cave and trying to do healthy things to, to, to keep going. Yeah, I, um, I know that all of us in this room having a hard time understanding and comprehending what you've been through in this last season. I know this, Kelly, and we've talked about this many times uh, from the very first day that this happened until now. It's just my, my belief, like I would never be able to make sense of why this happened. But I have no question that God is going to use you um, to help so many people. And I literally believe save lives. I believe that. As we were talking this week, you said there were two sorts of kinds of of cave life to two kinds of depression. Could you just talk to us a little bit about that so we can understand that? Sure, yeah. So there's there's one type that is just kind of a normal response to something tragic that happens. We call it an adjustment disorder. So it's basically just just coping with something bad. And it has a lot of the same symptoms of clinical depression. But clinical depression, um, when you're when when it's you that's suffering from it, you feel like it's just never going to end. And if people try to help you and try to bring you out of it, you just kind of feel, oh, if you if you only knew, if you only knew what it really felt like, you would feel just as hopeless as me. And so people with clinical depression, they tend to believe, um, you know, lies like like I'm just I'm just defective. There's something just fundamentally wrong with me. Um, I'm, I'm never going to get out of this. Uh, things like, if my faith were stronger, this wouldn't be happening to me. Or maybe I've done something to deserve this, and this is just me from here on out. This is just how my life is destined to be. So those are two, the two fundamentally yeah, different. It's fascinating that it involves, we talked about this last week, the way we use our minds and what we, the, the truths that we believe or the lies that we believe and how we can believe lies to the extent that it, it ends us up in some really dark places. I, I heard um, one time somebody said that depression is a hopelessness that is not consistent with reality, a hopelessness that is not consistent with reality. And, and so it may not be reality, but it feels like reality in the moments that you're in it. Um, Kelly, I think that all of us um, can, you know, we're Americans we tend to think of ourselves as strong and we don't, we don't struggle with certain things and we don't have certain realities. But I think a lot of us can tend to think we would never find ourselves 
sort of in the cave in depression and we'll tend to think that whatever is wrong with us, it couldn't be depression. Can you tell us um, how to know that maybe that's something we should be thinking about, worrying about, or wondering about? Yeah, well, when, when you're in the cave of clinical depression, kind of by definition, you can't see that you're in it. Yeah. It just feels like reality to you, right? But some of the symptoms, um, there, there are kind of two categories. There's this one category of depression where people tend to not be able to eat, not be able to sleep, they're fidgety. And then there's this other category where people eat too much, sleep all the time, and they just feel incredibly like physically weighed down, like that's all they can do to just move, like their le- arms and legs are just, you know, held down with lead weights. But then there's also the, the, common, the symptoms that are common to both, just depressed mood, um, feelings of hopelessness, um, not being able to concentrate, and just this sense that things are never going to get better and that um, you know, some people even get to the point where they feel so much shame, so much worthlessness, and so much hopelessness that they feel suicidal. Yeah, and you told me this week that another thing that maybe that's sort of regular is the things that you found joy in, you don't feel joy in. The things that inspired you, they don't inspire you anymore. The things that would make you want to get up in the morning and, and go after life are not making you, that's, that's right, that's one of those, those kinds of, and that's kind of where I was at in those times. And I, honestly, looking back, um, I know now what, I was, what was happening, but in that moment, I was just like, it's just a bad season, it's just a bad day. I would have never, never dreamed that I could have found myself where I was. And that's why I think it's so important that we talk about that even at church, that there are people who, who are struggling with things that they think, are, oh, it's just whatever my new normal is, but it may not be a new normal. You may need to talk to somebody. So obviously you can't self-diagnose depression, but one of the things that we know um, is you also can't sort of save yourself out of it. You used this incredible illustration with me this week about somebody drowning and, and could you just share that with us? Yeah, so part of depression is, is not realizing that it's real. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, you know, if I have diabetes, they can do a lab test and they can tell me I have diabetes and it kind of legitimizes, um, you know, that illness and it makes me feel like, oh, of course, I have to go to an endocrinologist, I have to take medicine, I have to take insulin, whatever the case. If I had a broken bone, they could take an x-ray and they could show me, look, this bone is broken. And we don't really have anything like that, like a lab test or like a like a x-ray, x-ray or something, x-ray, yeah. right, for depression, so to speak. But it's every bit as real. And so when you are depressed, people tend, and, and if you feel like it's a personal defect, people tend to want to try to feel like, oh, I can get through this myself, I can save myself. But when you think about the analogy of if I'm drowning in the ocean and I'm trying to pull myself out, I've got, it's not going to work. So I have to reach out to someone who's in a boat or someone who has a raft or someone who has a lifesaver or someone who can touch the bottom. And so that's, you know, if someone in your life is telling you you know, I think you're depressed, um, you should listen to them because oftentimes we can't see it ourselves. Yeah, and I think that's such an important concept because I think we can all tend to think, especially men, um, and I know there's a lot of men who are here and women who are in the military, and we've seen over the past several years so many men and women in the military who have gotten to this place, whether it's PTSD or whatever, and but they feel like, I'm strong, I'm tough, I'll pull myself up by my own bootstraps, and we find out that that's not actually possible. We, we've been talking about in this series the fact that God says through Paul in, in 2 Timothy, 
He says to Timothy, he says, stir up the gift of God inside of you, verse 6. And then verse 7, he says, for God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, right? That God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, love, sound mind. And it's funny because we talked about sound mind as a, as a wholeness of mind or as a, a rational ability. It's an ability, and this is, this is where depression can kind, of, can kind of mess us up. It's the ability to see things as they're coming to us, even really bad things sometimes that come at us. We, we can't see them rationally. We can't process them rationally. We lose that rationality, and we lose it in a cave. And, and I'll just speak to my own experience. We, we get disoriented in the cave. We lose our bearings in the cave. You said you lost, you've lost some of your identity in the cave, which fundamentally you are rooted in these identities, like of mom and, 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 and of, of doctor. And those, you felt like both of those were stripped away from you. It's, it's hard to see light at the end of the tunnel. I asked you about this and I said, I said, are you in the cave? And you said, yeah, I'm, I'm honestly in the cave. And you said, and I don't see any way out right now. And so I said to you, all right, I want you to put on your clinician's hat, your doctor hat for a minute. What would you tell yourself? And you, would, you said, I, I would tell myself the thing I've told a, a thousands of people. Of course, you're going to make it through. Of course, you're going to come out on the other end. What would you say to people here in this room who just feel stuck and like log jammed in this, this space right now? What would you say to them? I would just say that <clears throat> to remember that when your identity is kind of stripped away like mine was, whether it be from a, an event that happened like for me or whether it be from clinical depression, just reconnect to your identity in Christ, your identity as a child of God be, and, and look upon yourself with the same degree of grace and mercy and forgiveness and understanding that you would somebody else who was going through what you're going through yeah. because, um, you know, it's not a reality like it feels like it is to you right now. There is hope. There is a way out of the cave. Yeah. Um, you, you were telling me some things that we should do when we, find, when we say, like if some people are in this room today and going, maybe that's me, maybe that's me. And here's the thing, if you're not saying that, maybe somebody else is thinking it for you. Can I get a witness, somebody? Maybe somebody's wanting to throw you an elbow. Don't, it's not helpful. Come on, can I get an amen? It's not helpful. What would you say to people? What should they start doing to make their way out of the cave? Well, first of all, the, a tendency of people who feel like they're in a cave is to stay in the cave and to, to keep it to yourself because you fear that nobody else is in there with you. Nobody else can really understand it. And so if you, if you are coming into a time period that you know is going to be hard for you, make a point of surrounding yourself with people that you know love you. Make a point of giving yourself a reason to do something every day. Like for, for, for many of us, you know, we have things, maybe during, if we have a you know, conventional job, maybe we have a reason to get up every day during the week, but then on the weekends, we don't. We stay in bed all day or whatever. So I just make sure that, that, that on hard days, whether it be a weekend or Mother's Day or my daughter's birthday or something like that, um, I make sure not to just allow myself to just sit there in the cave. Yeah. You know, I, I make plans with, with people who I know love me. And, um, you know, I got I to gotta thank this church because when I came here, you know, um, 
we didn't have family around us. We didn't know anyone. We didn't have loved ones. And, you know, maybe it was God, but the first day that, the first Sunday that I went to church here, it was a time when they were advertising life groups. And I was like, I'm going to sign up for that. I'm going to sign up, sign up for a freedom group with Barry and Mandy and, and a wonderful group of about 18 people. And then I ended up leading a group. And, and at that time, I don't know that I needed that group very much. It was nice. It was a way to make friends. And, um, you know, the tendency for military people can often be, or pe anybody who moves frequently can be, oh, I don't want to get to know anybody here because I'm just going to have to leave them again someday. So I'm not going to get too into it. Well, I just made that conscious choice because of this church that, you know, my faith is not going to be active in this season or passive in this season. My faith is going to be active and join the groups, which I would encourage you to do as well because, you know, at the, at the, at the worst point in my life when I entered that cave, those were the people that came through for me. Yeah, and it's interesting you made an investment in a life group, which was probably like you already probably had enough things to do, right? You had kids at home and you had things to do, but you made an investment in a time when you didn't even really need the group, but that investment has paid dividends. It's like you can't draw from an account that you've never invested into. Can I get an amen, somebody? You can't draw from an account you never, so if you invest in a group, even in a season when you don't need the group, you're now paying, receiving dividends because some of the people you met in those groups have walked through this most difficult of times with you. Kelly, last thing. Um, just practically speaking, um, let me just say these and then we'll say the last thing. You may need to talk to your doctor, everybody. You may need to go see a counselor. We have a list of counselors at Next Step Central um, that we've talked to, that we've vetted. Um, and we, we would encourage anybody, uh, like I see a counselor every now and then. I go talk to somebody. When I need to talk to somebody, like it's like when you're a pastor, who are you supposed to talk to? Everybody wants to talk to you. Who do you talk to, right? Everybody, come on, everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs somebody to talk to. You just have to do that. The second thing I would say is the groups, man. We don't do groups for our own health. It's not an appendage. It's just like who we are. Tina, wave at us. Tina's our groups director right over here. You can talk to her. You got to get in a group, even if you're like, I don't know, what am I going to do? Sing Kumbaya and hold hands? No, we don't hold hands or sing Kumbaya, right? It's nothing weird, man. Um, and then the third thing I would tell you is that you need to get your face in the word of God. You have to get your face in the word of God. And, and so what we've done is we put this little pray first journal that we hand out the two times a year that we do 21 days of prayer. Um, we didn't write this, somebody else did. But in the back of this book, like the back half, literally the back half are prayers that you can pray and verses that you can, like if you're afraid, what should I say? And if you're depressed, what you should, should pray? Like get in God's word, man. There's nothing like it. Yes, go see a doctor. Yes, take the meds if you need it. Yes, get in a group. But don't forget about God, everybody. Come on, somebody. This is what God wants to do. He wants to bring us out. Kelly, last thing, last thing. Thank you. You finish all of your emails that I've ever gotten from you with a verse from Genesis chapter 50. I believe it's verse 20. And tell us what it says and tell us why you wrote it. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so, you know, I, I do feel like I'm still in the cave right now, but I feel like maybe that, maybe that verse is prophetic for me. Maybe some good will come out of something terrible that has happened in my life. And I can't see it now, but I just pray that it's true. And I, I put that tagline on my emails in the hopes that, that it will guide me to, yeah. to, to do something positive. And you're speaking hope into a situation that feels hopeless, and God responds <laughs> to that. We walk by faith. The Bible says we don't walk by sight. 
It's not based on what I can see right now because what you see right now is not good. But this is, this, is the, this is the beauty of walking with Jesus. You just keep putting one step after another. Hey, would you guys give uh, Kelly a big hand? Thank you, Kelly. Thank you so much. I'm just gonna finish the last few moments here. Um, so one more thing that you need to know. The cave, and I'm absolutely convinced from personal experience, is where God does some of his best work in molding and shaping and reshaping human lives that I believe that the cave can itself become a kind of furnace of transformation. The cave is for reasons that I do not fully understand that after all the props and all the crutches and all the scaffolding and the achievements and the awards and the pieces of paper and your life get stripped away, the cave is the place where sometimes you best find God, the real God. And all you have in those moments is him in the cave. And it's funny that as you go through and come out of the cave, you find and you realize that all you ever needed was him anyway. It's, it's interesting to me that when people look back on their lives, strong people, people who you would say, man, spiritually, they're like an oak. Um, relationally, uh, in terms of their self-awareness, their, their mental health, they're, they're a strong person. If you say to them, if you ask them, how is it that you came to be like this? How is it that you came to be this strong? Number one answer is every time has always been, will always be. They will tell you it was times of suffering and of darkness. It was cave times. In fact, I was reading this leadership um, article the other day, and in, in the article, there was this little line from psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, um, and she said, the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat and known suffering and known struggle and known loss and have found their way out of the depths these people have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion and gentleness and a deep loving concern. This is why I believe, Kelly, this is why I believe that your best days, your strongest days are still ahead. This, this right here. And many of you, the same. You know, David, uh, David spent almost 10 years in the wilderness Three to six months, historians say, alone there in that cave. But something happened in the cave that David started writing, journaling, if I can use a newer phrase. So Psalm 57, he wrote from the cave. And Psalm 142, he wrote from the cave. And it's this gut level real and raw and honest transparency, this glimpse into his own heart and his soul. He says things in Psalm 142 like, I cry out to the Lord with my voice, and with my voice to the Lord I make my supplication, and I pour out my complaint before him, and I declare before him my troubles when my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Then you knew my path. And the way in which I walk, they have secretly set a snare. He has this notion that there's all these people out to get him. 
And in fact, they were. And, and he says, and I look on my right hand and I see for there, there is no one who acknowledges me. And refuge, this place, this cave, Adullam means refuge. Refuge has failed me. The cave has failed me. No one cares for my soul. Some of you know what that feels like. I'm overwhelmed. I'm complaining. I'm, I'm crying out, but nobody feels. Nobody sees. Nobody knows. It's not actually true, but that's how David feels in this moment. So, so God sends him some friends. And Second Sam, or First Samuel twenty-two, two says that in the cave, all those who were in distress, look at this, or in debt, or discontented, three D, right? Distressed, debt, discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. 400 men show up. It's interesting that God sends people to David, but if you're David, you're, think, you're thinking, this is who you send me? Debt, discontented, distressed? Like they're just, they're just like me. Oh yeah, David, that's the point. Because one by one, these guys in the, walk into that place. David, I know you feel alone. I know you feel discouraged. I know you feel like nobody thinks about you. Hey man, me too. Me too. And there's something about this kind of honesty that David exemplifies. And then these guys come in and say, dude, we're in debt. We're distressed. We're discontented. And all of a sudden there's this, there's this transformative effect of going, it's not just me. I'm not the only one. Come on, have you ever felt that way? Like, surely nobody's dealing with the shame I'm dealing with. And then you find somebody who goes, yeah, no, me too. And this is what David does. This is what David experiences. God sends him people who, as it turns out, were just like him. And they form a little community in a place called Ziklag. And, and they develop, become a, like a little awesome little army but bad things happen. These, these raiders come in to their village while they're all the men are out and take all the women and all the children, all of their things. And they come back and they find this and they're so, dis, so disheartened, so brokenhearted that it says that they cried until there were more, no more tears left to cry. And then they got angry and they turn on David. And once again, David finds the bottom has fallen out. Where do you go when life takes more than you have to give? Who, who knows about life in the cave? And then there's this incredible line. Maybe, maybe one of the most amazing lines in all of the Bible. It just says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. That's it. David found strength not in his own resilience, not in his own brilliance, not in his own capacity, not in his own determination. Somehow, while in the cave, David found strength and the Lord is God. Just that one sentence. And there, in the mystery of a human being alone with his God, everything changed while nothing changed. The circumstances that he was facing were still there. All the bad things that had happened were there. It felt like the bottom had found, fallen out, but when he had fallen through the bottom, he found a God who was willing to catch him there and David found strength in the Lord as God. And, and Kelly, you said something about two chapters in life, the before and the after. And if you look at the after, David spends 10 years in the cave, in the wilderness. 
God does more with him on the backside after the pain, after the shame, after all the things that had happened to him. God does more with him in the second chapter of his life than he ever did in the first chapter, like beyond his wildest dreams. And that's the way God is, that he has a way of using our weaknesses in ways that we would never, ever comprehend. Jacob goes to the heights of heights. He, he becomes a wealthy, wealthy man. And then he has to deal with his past. He sends his family across the brook Jabbok. And there he gets alone and God comes and he wrestles with God, it says. And God touches him in the, in, in the hip. And he ends up walking for the rest of his life with a limp. But as it turns out, God did way more with his limp than he ever did with his strengths. Go look at it. The limp actually saves him because when his brother Esau, who's coming to kill him, sees him limping, he has compassion on him. The Bible says that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. I think that's a word from the Lord for some of us who are in the cave right now. How am I ever going to make it out of here? But Danny found strength in the Lord as God. But Kelly found strength in the Lord her God. But John found strength in the Lord his God. But there's a decision that you have to make to trust the one who knows something about caves. They crucified him. And guess where they put him? They put him in a cave in the ground. Three days and nights, he stayed in that cave, hopeless, it seemed. All hope was lost. But on the third day, something happened. Something happened. And the Bible says the Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead also lives inside of you. So one who knows what it means to come out of a cave is living inside of you. But some of us will say, I think I'll just stay here in this cave. I'll just live here in this cave. I'll deal with this cave in my own way, in my own strength. I'll learn how to cope in the cave. I'll numb myself in the cave. But others will kneel down in the cave and they will say, God, I, don't, I do not want to do life in my own strength, in my own way anymore. I would rather enter another kind of life that I cannot make myself live on my own. I cannot enter it into on my own. I would like for this Jesus who went into the cave of death for me, who died on the cross for me, who paid the price for me. I would like for him, somebody who knows something about coming out of caves, who was resurrected some 2,000 years ago, I'd like for him to come and make himself at home in my cave, in my heart, in my life. I'd like him to be the forgiver of my sins and the Lord of my life. And you can just say, God, would you come in? Would you change my heart? Would you change my life? Would you be the forgiver of my sins? And would you help me get out of the cave and he will. I promise you, he will. So can I, can I pray with you? Father, thank you so very much for 
this day, God. Thank you so very much for this moment, the space that we're in. So many of us, truth be told, are struggling on some level. Maybe it's our mental health. Maybe it's our emotional health. Maybe it's simply spiritual health. We're not doing good spiritually. And I would just... I would just pray, Lord, to you right now and as people are praying in their own ways, using their own words, God, that you would just come, Holy Spirit, that that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in this room, is in this house, is in this space, been here the whole way through, looking, knocking on hearts, doors, let me in, let me come into the cave where you are, let me come in and make my home with you, in you. So, Father, we're just praying, God, that people would open their hearts and open their minds to receive the help and the grace, that they would not be ashamed or embarrassed of their own cave life for whatever the reason that they're in there now. God, that we could, we could see a group of people, a community of faith that would just tear away this stigma that is mental health, to see it as something that anybody can have and anybody can struggle with and anybody will need help. No one can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Nobody can pull themselves out of a drowning situation. But I'm thankful, Lord, that you came in person to save us, to set us free, to give us strength. And I'm praying for hope and help and grace and peace and courage to take next right steps. I'm praying these things in the mighty name of Jesus. We say this. And amen, and amen, amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.